0: Listening to First Church Charlotte. in the word of the Lord to Acts chapter number 21. I am going to teach for a few moments on this subject of the power of a story, the power of a story. And I'm going to read a story. I know you didn't see that coming, but I'm here for you and I am a giver. And so uh, why don't we stand together? It's kind of our habit to do that. Acts 21, and we will read several scriptures here at uh, verse number Man, there's so much here. It's it's a, it's kind of an involved story. So let's let's start at verse number 27. When the seven days of their purification were nearly up, I, I will I'll explain all of this. Some of the Jews from around Ephesus spotted him in the temple. At once, they turned the place upside down. I'm sorry, I'm reading in the Message translation. Let me go to the New King, King James Version because you're like, what's going on? Too much stress. I'm quitting this church. So. Uh, Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, they laid hands on him and they cried out, Men of Israel, help. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defied this holy place. Now, the reason why they thought that is they had seen a guy... There by the name of Trophimus, which is a beautiful name. You young mothers, if you're looking for a name for children, <laughs> Trophimus would be a beautiful name uh, <laughs> uh, in your future. And so the whole city is in an uproar. Verse number 30 the people are running and screaming, and children are crying. They drag him out of the temple. Uh, they're going to kill him. And so the Roman soldiers, who are really the professionals at killing, they show up and stop the Jews from killing another Jew, Paul. And they don't know what's going on, so they can't. Figure out what's going on. And uh, the commander puts him. Under arrest, bound with two chains. I'm in verse 33, and the Bible says some among the multitude cried one thing, and some another. How many of you've ever been in a situation like that? It's like the ultimate he said, she said, and you're just like, look, you're both in detention. So <laughs> that's pretty much what the uh, centurion did there. He could not ascertain the truth, uh, verse 34, because of all this drama, and so they're just going to take them to the barracks and just stop the riot. And Paul follows along until he gets the stairs. Now this is all happening at the temple. And uh, the violence people, the, the, the people are screaming away with him, away with him. And uh, so Paul is about to be led to the barracks. And he says to the commander, may I speak to you? Now practice saying that with me. May I speak to you? I'm teaching the power of a story. Somebody say in Jesus' name turn around, fist bump one person and say, I'm so glad to see you in the house of the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. So, there is a whole lot of uh, excitement in the story we read here. If you haven't read the book of Acts, I would very much uh, encourage you to do so. You can do it in about an hour, uh, less than an hour, actually. You can probably read it in about 40 minutes. Um, Very, very interesting book. Um, Just, just... uh There's so much real life drama in the book that honestly you don't have to. You you really don't have. It's kind of like something you can't make it up. (laughs) You read the Book of Acts and it's like you can't make this up. It's it's a lot of excitement and drama. Paul has been having great success carrying the gospel all over Asia. Uh, the Lord has been leading him. They have come through suffering, trial, and also blessing and and revival. Uh, the Lord has, has directed him after much seeking on his part. If you find yourself seeking after the Lord, don't let that discourage you. Um, even the Apostle Paul had to seek after the Lord, and he wanted to go to... Uh, uh, Bithynia, and the spirit said no and so he went instead to Troas and uh, he's not supposed to be in Troas and in Troas he gets a he gets a vision of the guy in Macedonia saying come down and help us he goes down to Macedonia and they have great revival there so it is in my life so it is in your life the spirit will lead you do not in other words let me say it this way we all of us need a little bit of spiritual persistence in our in our life you should try something we as a church try things we we're always looking to try Try things. We we I know not all churches have that culture, and that's fine for them. That's it's it's there's not a way you have to do it. But at our church, we are very much on the cutting edge of trying things. At least within our our tradition of trying things, exploring, trying to find effective ways to go forward. Um, we, this is intentional. We are in the people business. We want to influence and touch as many people as possible. That means we have to try things. We have to learn. Uh, Paul is the cutting edge of revival in his time, and he's, man, he's, he is so cutting edge that uh, the blood is real. <laughs> he is having these great churches that are coming up under him, and he, he goes back to uh, Jerusalem. Now, his brothers did not want him to go, and I say brothers, I mean his spiritual brothers, uh, the other pastors, uh, the other apostles, they don't want him to go, and they, uh, prophets come to him, and they say, look, if you go, you're going to be bound And uh, this is what's going to happen. There's two different warnings. There's no place in uh, the Bible where the Lord tells Paul to go to Jerusalem. Paul rather expresses it as a great burden within him. I want to see my countrymen saved. Uh, He finally kind of sneaks into the city. He meets all the stories in the book of Acts. He meets with the leaders of the church there. Peter and James and others, and uh, they basically, uh, they're very happy to see him, but they're afraid that some of the believing Jews are going to kill him. You think we have, uh, in this day and age, church trouble. Uh, <laughs> I promise you, compared to them, we, we don't have that much church trouble. We're, uh, I don't know of anybody who's been killed recently. I mean, if you character assassinations by the long-tongued people, but other than that, I mean, that was, uh, that, that, this is serious church trouble. I mean, when the apostles are saying, look, the believing Jews are going to kill you, they just, they think you're destroying what it means to be a what it means to be a, a follower of of the Lord a member of this holy nation uh, uh, to be true to the, mo- the, the covenant of Moses and all of that and he is as you might would uh, guess stubborn to a fault Paul you could, Paul is very stubborn and they wanted him to stay away they asked him to stay away he showed up and so they come up with a plan that maybe the Jews will accept him and that is he sponsors young men who are going through one of the traditions of the temple uh, I won't get too deep into this story but the point is is nobody's fooled and they 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 immediately try to lay hands on him they try to they're going to hurt him they're going to stone him well Roman soldiers are looking for any disturbances around uh, the temple area and so immediately they, they they don't want to riot they don't want they jump right on it and there's this interesting story where a lot of details are given to us Claudius Lysias was the name of the Centurion why do we know that I don't know but it's super cool. I mean, he was an honest, rather open-minded Roman soldier who compares quite favorably to the hate-filled, prejudiced, prejudiced Jewish crowd. Um, they jumped to assumptions. They, they assumed, they, they didn't even bother to check, but they assumed that Paul had brought a Gentile named Trophimus into the inner court of the temple. Now, there was a dividing wall I just covered this in some leadership training I've done for our leadership team here at First Church. It's a dividing wall that separated people in the temple. The Spirit of the Lord was not separated from the people by a wall. The Spirit of the Lord was separated by a veil. Okay, I want you to get these images. Uh, the veil separates the presence of the Lord from the priesthood who brings the, the sacrificial blood into that place to a mercy seat. And so uh, all of this is uh, according to those traditions. Now, the people were separated by an inner dividing wall. The first court was the court of Gentiles. Gentiles have to stay there. Second court is the court of women. Everybody knows if you want a spiritual church, you've got to keep the women outside. That's funny. I don't care what y'all say. No, you women are, are are a lot of times more spiritual than us men. That's the that's the honest truth. Don't get don't be saying amen now. Don't be, I see you slapping your husband? She's like, that's what I'm talking about right there. Finally, that preacher said something I could agree with. <laughs> so. Uh, Court of the women, and uh, then uh, and then the final court, of course, was the court of the priests, and then the holy place, and so, or the the the, the actual temple itself. And so, this there's these uh, courts of separation. Only the priesthood can go here. This is the men of the house of Israel, Jewish men. Here's Jewish women. Here's Gentiles, and they're divided by a wall. Well, actually, archaeologists have unearthed part of that wall, and they found inscribed on the wall. Um, all who trespass here um, or do not pass on, th- on, on threat of death or something like that. They literally would kill you if you, you went past that wall. Interestingly, Paul says that part of what Christ did for us was to remove the middle wall of separation. Now, he's not talking about separating us from God. He's talking about separating us from other people. That's why he can teach and say before him there's neither Jew nor Greek nor bond nor free nor male nor female before God. Now, this middle wall of separation where you have more value than you and you have more value than you, that's gone now. And the ground is level at Calvary. Can I have a big amen from the church folks? That's changed now. I'm sorry, I don't know what's going on with my mic, but it's giving me some trouble. Um, So uh, this is the reality. This is the reality on the ground. And they're saying that Paul disrespected the temple by bringing a Greek past the court of the Gentiles. All of this is a bunch of drama. So Paul, let me just hop to the story here because I can go deeper and deeper in detail and pretty soon your eyes will roll back in your head and you'll start doing the little, you know. Anyway. I live with little kids, so Paul asks this question. He is no longer at risk from the crowd. He's being taken away from the cult, from the uh, the crowd by the soldiers, and Paul says this to the commander: "May I speak to you?" The commander says, "Sure. Do you speak Greek? Greek is the universal language of government um, and of, of of the like in this time." And the the, the centurion says aren't you the egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led four thousand assassins out into the wilderness paul's like huh what you see the confusion that's going on here um paul says look i'm a jew from tarsus in sicilia uh which as you know is a pretty good city it's it's no no just little city it's uh, i'm a roman citizen i implore you uh, let me speak to the people and so what is the first thing that this Roman commander obviously well, can we communicate and uh, it seems like you have sense you're not who I thought you were I thought that you were a, like a, a assassin type rebel type person and now, okay I'll let you speak to the people and so Paul then says this To the people. It starts in the next chapter, verse number 22. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you. You see, um, I want you to see how Paul tells them a story. Uh, Paul identifies with them. He tells them a story. So there's some lessons here that I I, want to bring out for your understanding very quickly. Um, First of all, the Centurion surprised that uh, Paul speaks Greek, uh, but then Paul surprises the crowd by speaking Aramaic. He speaks to them in the Hebrew language, verse number one. And the Bible says when he did that, they became very quiet. Or as the New King James, they all, they kept all more silent. They thought they knew who he was. But they had made presumptions about him and they had been willing to threaten him based on those presumptions. And now, when they realize... He's not who they thought he was. And he could talk to them in a language they could understand. They were willing to listen. So Paul then speaks in this fluent Aramaic. That is the language of rural Palestine, uh, rural Syria. And of course all over um, this area where these people are from. Uh, Anyone who thinks he was a collaborator is going to be... Corrected. The first thing he does is identify with them. Just very quickly, watch this. I am indeed a Jew. I was born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but I was brought up in this city, Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel is one of the most uh, notable teachers of the time. In fact, when the Christians first had their revival success, and there were some people saying we used to persecute him, and other people saying we shouldn't because the Lord is in this, they came to Gamaliel, famous teacher. And they said, what, we, what should we do? And he lays down the gold standard of how we treat other people who are having some type of a religious awakening. He said this, and I love this, I quote it often. Look, if God's not in it, nothing will come of it. But if God is in it, you don't want to speak against it because then why would you want to fight God? And then that's some good wisdom. Paul said, look, I I went to the school of Gamaliel. I was taught according to the strictness of our father's laws. And I was just as zealous toward God as you are today. What is he doing? He's communicating. He is identifying. He is reassuring. And he is placing himself in a, uh, he, he is with them. He's not against them. He is with them. He is identifying with them. I, was, I am just as zealous toward God. I was just as zealous. I am just as zealous toward God as all of you are today. In fact, I persecuted the church. He is telling his testimony. He is not giving them his truth. Not yet. He's given them his story. I want to say that again. He's not given them his truth. He will, but that's not the first thing. That's not where he starts. He will get to his truth. Now I know that I don't mean to. I don't mean to uh, give the impression that I, I am post truth like so many in our generation, and I don't mean to give the impression that uh, I do not believe in absolute truth. I am a fundamentalist preacher in the South. You know what that means. <laughs> I I, the, the, I I am not in some way a relativist where all tr- relativists where all truth is the same. I'm not. I very much believe in Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. But because the Lord has chosen to interact with us through faith, the Lord will not force anyone to see something against their will. They have to believe. I'm going to say that again. They have to believe. They have to believe. And so whether or not I'm right or I'm not right, if they don't believe, it won't matter if I am right. And so now we get into this principle. If you want to influence people, you have to be wise. And Paul first, he uh, relates to them. He identifies with them. He finds a common way of communicating. And then he tells his story. He tells his story and his story will continue uh, in, in, in the passages. One other thing I want to point out to you, he, 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 he tries to remove the animosity. He sees them as his people. Not you guys, but his people. He calls them brethren and fathers. Which in this time, and is, is those are the language, uh, that's the language of family. That's not just the language of, you know, uh, citizens and Romans. That is the language of family. Brethren and fathers. He identifies with them. And then he gives them his story. And it's going to go like this. Who he was. What happened to him. And who he became. What he was. Who he was. The story of what happened to him. And who he has become in Jesus Christ. So here's the story. His past. His testimony on the road to Damascus. The jesus speaks to him the first time uh this is here in verses uh, eight i am jesus whom you are persecuting uh and then he tells the story of ananias who came to him and said brother saul receive your your sight um, and com- uh, literally prophesize over him then three years later he had another vision he's going to tell the story of that in verse number 17 now it happened when i returned to jerusalem and was praying in the temple this is three years after the Damascus Road, he had this second vision and the Lord warns him, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. He leaves. Now this is what God told him. This is his understanding in God. And he said, depart, I will send you to the Gentiles. Watch what's going to happen here. Paul is telling his story. They listened to him until this word, and then they went even. That's when that's when they lost it. Okay, um, Paul is saved by his Roman citizenship, and uh, this is Paul's attempt. This is Paul's attempt to reach people who he has been prophetically told will not receive his testimony. This puts in a different light Paul's stubborn insistence to go to Jerusalem when the Lord had told him, these people will not receive your testimony. Um, I, I, I want to show you something here, though, that I think you will see over and over in uh, the New Testament, over and over in the life of the Apostle Paul, also in every story we have of testimony, every story we have of transformation, I want you to see this progression. First of all, uh, Paul finds a way to communicate. He finds a way to talk. The next thing he does is he tells his story and he ends by giving them his truth. They reject his truth but he had him with the story. So all of us are in the spiritual influence business and the truth is not everyone is going to accept our our truth. Uh, Our belief that Jesus Christ changes everything and through him we're able to have relationship with God. The separation that has existed between humanity and divinity through sin has been removed by the precious blood of Jesus. Can I have a big amen? And we're able to stand in his presence. I felt his presence here tonight while the band was singing, but before that I felt his presence in the prayer room. Uh, in the, Today when I was praying around uh, around noon, I, I, I felt his presence in, uh, in my life. I am the beneficiary of what Christ has done for me. I want to share that gospel. I want to encourage people to turn their heart toward the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to hold my theological and religious beliefs in a complete stack. And I'll explain this, where if you don't accept all of it, none of it will benefit you. I'm happy if you will just think good thoughts about the Bible occasionally. I'll take that as a starting point. Uh, You don't have to show up and be full-fledged member of the church. I, uh, I will take anything that someone has in their life to turn themselves toward the Lord. Because I believe that's how the Lord starts a work in you. Uh, when you have unsaved loved ones and unsaved family, uh, don't, don't argue about things later on in the journey. Let me say that again. They haven't even started and you want to argue about things that maybe years in their, they may never get there. Take what you can get and celebrate. Yeah. Don't be like the judgmental church member who's looking to see who really was blessed while the angels in heaven are rejoicing because one sinner repented. Yeah, their life may be imperfect, but they repented. Let's celebrate. Whatever God is doing, can I have a big amen? Let's be the church of praise God. That's awesome. Let's be that church. Let's speak that life. Yes, they have more to come. And guess what? You do too. And the chances are they'll make more progress than you have. I mean, who knows? <laughs> My point is this. Um, we are in this, we, we have this desire to influence people toward the kingdom of God. And when they do that, if you have a if you have someone you're going to see over the holidays and they in many ways have uh, turned their back on the church, I, I want you to be reminded of this. They probably aren't rejecting God. God, they're rejecting their experience of the church. And they 're angry they 're not angry at God they, they probably don't even never really had a sense of who He was. they never beheld the beauty of the Lord. but oh, how that church made them hate church. You understand what i 'm saying that 's what they 've rejected against so don't try to convince them of something that may be down the road, like regular church attendance with imperfect Christians. Start with just the simple beauty of what Christ has done for us. Let there be per- Is this making sense, anybody? Let's do what Paul did. Let's realize the power of a story. See how Paul. These people we know biblically—they're not going to accept it. Paul has been told prophetically by none less than the Lord Himself. These people are not going to receive your testimony. But I want—or your your um, uh, your witness of uh, of me, of the witness of Christ. Um, he knows that. But as long as he is telling them a story, they are engaged. This is the power of a story. So yes we should start with common language. Yes we should seek to relate to them. Yes we should find common ground. Uh, Next we should see them not as our opposite but we should see them as as family. Uh, As he said brothers and fathers. Yes we should find the things we agree on rather than jump into something we disagree on. Uh, Yes all this is true but the most powerful thing you do is tell your story. Why? Because when you're telling your story, even if they're not going to receive what happened to you for themselves, they listen till the end of the story. Do you see the power of a story? There is this drawing power in a story that once you start it, it's like you have to know where it ends up. I want you all to be encouraged to share your story. Don't it may take you a little bit of effort to kind of organize it in your language of, of, of sharing, in your personality style, how you would tell your story. But you should organize your story. You should think about it. You should sometimes, uh, say, how would I tell my story? Um, it's easy for us, and this is what we normally do. We assume our story isn't very interesting. And so we don't tell it and we jump right to our Doctrine, Right to our truth. And then we wonder why people don't engage with us. They would have listened to the end of the story. Amen. There's a power in a story. So find a way to share your story and find a way to identify with people. I came across some very interesting statistics. By the way, I, I should have mentioned this. All of these notes are on the website. I work diligently all day long, uphill both ways in the snow, to provide you these uh, notes. And so they're all available to you there under Bible study link, on firstchurchclt.com. So um, here's some uh, statistics from Center for the Study of Global Christianity. One out of five, um, one out of five non-Christians in North America doesn't personally know so 20% of the non-Christians in America does not have a single Christian friend or a single Christian acquaintance. So 20% of the non-Christians in America, they have not a single Christian friend. Um, interesting thing about being in America is we, we, we talk about sending missionaries to the world, but the world has sent their people to us. And there is tremendous opportunities for missions right here uh, in this church. And, and this church is a testimony of the mission. mission heart of Christianity. So in some subgroups, it's actually more than that. 65% of Buddhists in America do not have a single Christian friend. Christian believer. Um, 75% of Chinese people who are not already Christians, there has been a great revival in China, but of the traditional Chinese um, uh, belief structure and people in that, 75% of them does not have a single Christian friend. 78% of Hindus in America do not have a single Christian friend. 43% of Muslims in America does not personally know a follower of Jesus Christ. And so worldwide, the number is... The numbers are even, uh, even worse, worse than that. Uh, Many people know no Christians, and so I want to uh, uh, share with you one of what one of the researchers in this study said. And they were interviewing all of they had interviewed thousands of non-Christian. Christians in North America. They interviewed thousands, and listening to the stories. And one thing he said was that a surprising thing to him was how small gestures have a huge impact on non-Christian people in our society. Society, because they're already living with a sense of rejection. They're already living with a sense of isolation. And he said, uh, if you invite, uh, you know, another uh, American, uh, your, your Baptist neighbor over, that they, they enjoy it. You have a good time. It doesn't really impact them. They feel accepted. But if you invite your Hindu neighbors over, he said, it will have this tremendous impact on them because they're already living with a sense of alienation. There is power in your story. You don't have to fancy it up. There's power in your story. There is a hook of interest in your story. You should tell your story. You should find a way to tell your story to the people in your life. This is what Paul does. And this, he has them. As long as he's telling the story, he has them. And the Bible says they, li- they listen carefully. Now, you know, and I know, prophetically, they're not going to accept Okay, in this moment, I want to show a negative example to show you how powerful your story is. And so I have had things happen to me that I have to find a way to tell in the form of a story because that testimony is the most powerful thing I can share. You have a testimony. Has the Lord ever brought you through a difficult time? When you meet people going through a difficult time, you already have a ready-made on-ramp. Has the Lord ever healed your body? If you meet any sick people, you have a ready-made preparatory lesson in your life that God has given you. And this is what we'll do. Oh, if I was, if I was you know, friendly like Brother Ed, then I would tell my story. Uh, no, stop it already. If I was, if I was you know, charismatic like, like Pastor Nathan, the other Pastor Nathan... Then I would tell my story. No, it is your story. And you would be surprised how powerful it is. And this holiday season, I want you to tell your story. God's done too much for you to hide it under a bushel. Make an effort to share the goodness. There is more than one way that it will bless. On one hand, it will bless Because people might be influenced by it and turn their heart toward God and become people of faith. That's the first way. The second way is even if they don't turn their heart, you still gave glory to God for what he did in your life and through you. And you are a worshiper. So if they accept it, you're an evangelist. If they reject it, you're a worshiper. You can't lose by telling your story. Amen. I'm going to try that over here because I don't know if y'all got blessed on that. You should tell your story. Why? If they accept it, you're an evangelist. If they reject it, you're a worshiper. It's when, when. Tell your testimony. Tell your story. When God's encouraged you, tell about that encouragement. When God has healed you, tell about that, that healing in your body. When the Lord put a relationship back together, tell somebody that God can heal even the relationships of your life. Yeah. So, oh, in in closing, musicians, you can come. I am going to tell an interesting little story. Uh, it was it's kind of a fun little story. Uh, there's so much bad news that when you hear something that's kind of funny or good or uplifting, um, it's 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 um, it's uplifting. I, I think that's the best way to say it. Uh, there was a young man who lived in Virginia, and his name uh, his name was Darius uh, Lipscomb. Uh, Darius Lipscomb. Uh, he was 15 years old, and on Snapchat, uh, he because he loved his mom and dad had taken him on a cruise. He was just a teenager taking him on a, a cruise. Um, and Snapchat was just, you know, kind of, um, taken off and, you know, being a, a kid, he's an early adopter and he had just been on this carnival cruise. And so he, he made his Snapchat handle at carnival cruise at Carnival Cruise. He didn't know that this might be valuable. Uh, he just had gone on a cruise, 15-year-old kid, and he made his handle uh, at Carnival Cruise. Well, uh, Carnival Cruise, uh, you know, being slow adults like the rest of us, they don't notice the, uh, the rising influence of Snapchat, and they decide they decide um, uh, we should get on Snapchat. And they go on, you know, like us old slow people, oh, let's, 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 we're going to be at Carnival Cruise. Oh, whoopsie, it's already taken well they call their lawyers that's what all us old people do we want to buy a, a, Snap, a snapchat well the thing is the way snapchat is structured they were able to find out his name but uh, they did not that's that's all they just knew he was somewhere in Virginia in, in this area of Virginia and they knew his name and so how do you go about that well most people would hire a, a private investigator but When a corporation hires a private investigator and shows up at your door, that's just creepy. And then they're like, hey, we would like to buy your handle. You're like, no, (laughs) let me call my lawyer and we'll see how much we can get you for. They didn't want to do it like that. They wanted to do it like a friend. He had something they were willing to pay for, but they didn't want to send a private investigator snooping around, you know, big brothers looking into your handle. You know what they did? They already had a celebrity... uh, endorser, a uh, guy you've probably never heard of, uh, not that big de- big of a deal, but his, his name is Shaquille O'Neal, and um, he, he's not that big of a deal, pardon the pun, and uh, he was known, uh, because he did the marketing for the company, he was known as the chief fun officer at uh, Carnival Cruise, and uh, so they, they called the, he, he worked for him. and they said, look, we want you to make us a graphic that it's you and you're smiling and uh it's gonna say does anybody know Darian and so he said sure sure so they make a graphic he's smiling and they put on the does anyone know Darian and then they put up signs around this part of Virginia does anyone know Darian and uh they then didn't work at first And then they hired a moving, one of those moving sign trucks. And they put Shaquille O'Neal on the side of it. Does anyone know Darian Lipscomb? And a number to call in. And so Shaquille O'Neal's looking for him. That's different than the creepy private eye, you know, with the 70s mustache, you know. (laughs) It's uh, so, so somebody's uh, cool. So, so uh, that they found out about him. So they had Shaquille O'Neal contact him, and he's like, "What's going on? What's going on?" And they said he, he was like, "Look, we want your handle. We want, and we'll pay for it. What, what What do we need to do?" And so they they did the negotiations. They had all the lawyers do all that. Anyway, among other things, they gave him an all expenses paid European cruise for all his family and friends on the newest Carnival ship, the Horizon. That was worth, you know, thousands of dollars. And uh, the point is, how do you find somebody? Let me say it this way. If you want to make a connection and you don't know how to do it, how do you do it? Here's the thing. You don't know. But you should just start trying in a positive, happy, non-creepy way. All of you have people in your life you would like to make a spiritual connection with. You want to be the hands of God in your world that is showing forth the love of God. And you don't know how to do it. And I don't know how to do it. And that's okay. If Carnival Cruises can find a 15-year-old by saying, what is not creepy? What would be fun? What would be, I promise you, in the same manner they just had to brainstorm and come up with something to try, you should try some way to just make an effort to be the voice that speaks hope and life to the people in your life that you desperately love and you want to see blessed. And I want to say this to you. You've got this. You can do this. How do I know that? And why do I say it because God put you there that means you know everything you need to know and you can do everything you need to do just to show forth some interest in the spiritual potential growth and ultimate salvation of the people in your world and watch how God uses you there is power in your story the most powerful thing in the world I'm ending with this The most powerful thing in the world is a story. Why do I say that? Every nation that has ever been founded came together groups of tribes and villages and peoples many of whom didn't like each other but they all unified around a national story and they became one every, uh, almost every institution that is at work in the world today has a Genesis story every government, every corporation there is a story and around that story people unify in fact, I'll end with this in fact, a story is so powerful that when God wanted to show you how much he loved you, he used a story. And a baby was born in a manger. But wise men came to honor him. And he grew and came of age. And he took all your sins. And he said, I love you this much. It's a story. If God himself chose a story to change the world you ought to be reminded just how powerful your story is. Your story opens the door for you to tell his story. Let's all stand all over the house. Lord Jesus, we want to manifest your heart, manifest your kingdom in our community. Lord, all of us are going to business events, holiday parties, corporate parties, we're going to see family, we're going to see friends. And a lot of times we, we, we get so caught up in our disagreements that we forget the power of a simple story. And we, we want to, we want to jump straight to our disagreements or straight to our arguments or straight to our, uh, our logical conclusions. And we, we, we miss the fact that none of those things make a dent. Uh, they they don't they don't they just they just run off of people's armor so to speak but telling them our story telling them our experience will cut through all of those resistances and in many cases even if it's not something where uh, there is an immediate change on their behalf there is a certain appreciation there and there is a certain uh, friendship that is born out of that story and then they having listened to ours give us a chance to listen to theirs and out of those combining of communication and, and stories and gestures of affection and, and time together comes comes really a meeting of hearts and a, a meeting of minds. And now true spiritual influence is able to be Uh, to be seen in, in, in their lives and in our lives. Lord Jesus, anoint us for your work. Empower us for your calling. We're all of us, we believe, placed by your will. We all of us are intentionally gifted by your bounty of heaven. Our gifts are not accidents. You gave them to us for the purposes of the kingdom and you asked us to give them back to you by paying forward your love through the people in our life. In Jesus name, anoint us for that work. Bless us for that calling and we praise you for it today. Amen. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them.